Welcome everyone, we are finally at episode 8 of the Moguls and Mages podcast. I am Dan, your residential sprout, learning everything about FF14. I'm here with my co-host Cody, the the true master who, whose knowledge is unquestionable on any given topic. <laughs> Hold up, whoa. <laughs> and I, I wanted to uh, take a quick pause before we really got into this and seriously... Anyone and everyone checking this out, thank you so much. We had a post on the FF14 subreddit a little bit earlier this week, and holy cow, the, the downloads just exploded. We, we have so many more people following and checking us out. It, you guys are incredible. Thank you for this. It, it's kind of surreal just, just trying to look at the numbers and then seeing something explode like that. So you guys are awesome. Thank you. Um, Cody. Yes. What are we talking about today? Today, we are going to be talking about, I believe this is the fourth Umbral Calamity. Uh, th mm -hmm. This will be the Fall of Dalamud. Oh, yes. That, that's the whole Project Meteor, right? Right. This is Project Meteor. Mm. So, th this story does not actually start on Eorzea. This story doesn't even start on Hydaelyn. Wait. Where where does it start? So, there's this place. It's essentially just space. They call it the, uh, it's like the interdimensional void or something like that. Space. Okay. Um, but it's just space. And there's a planet out there called the Dragon Star. And on the Dragon Star, there is a war between some unknown factions. Okay. You've got the dragons and... An entity known as Omega. Oh, yeah, yeah. You had mentioned Omega in the last episode. Right. So, Omega is part of another faction, but we don't really know who. Only that it's obscenely powerful and alien. Oh. Okay. So, as a part of this war, a ancient and powerful dragon named Midgard Sormer decides that he's going to take his first brood and flee the dragon star so he just leaves and he he goes to Hydaelyn he finds Hydaelyn out in space mm. and he says you know can I bring my people here it's it's this or death he's a dragon right he is a dragon he's a giant sort of an eastern dragon where he's more of like a noodle oh, okay gotcha yeah, so so he, he brings his brood and he says, you know, it's this or death. Can my people stay on Hydaelyn? And she says, yes. The Mother Crystal herself, she says, yes, but you have to do me a favor. Mm. Your kin can live on my star, but you have to guard something for me. I need you to protect whatever is under Silver Tear Lake. She doesn't tell him what, at least we don't know what, until much later. Oh. And, un, you know, protect Silver to your leg for me. He says, fine. I'll, I will be the guardian of Silver Tear. That is sort of the beginning of their relationship. And Hydaelyn and Midgard Stormer are apparently very close friends at this point. <laughs> Man, imagine being best friends with a planet. Right? <laughs> <laughs> so... 
his his kin sort of his brood they sort of spread across Heidelin. so the the first brood is i believe seven great worms so there's bahamut known as the dawn worm he's the oldest of the first brood Ooh, okay he and his consort tiamat the dusk worm they go to a continent to the south of Eorzea, known as Maricidia. Chris Velger and Nidhogg take their, I, I want to say sister. I believe Ratatoskr is a female. They take their sister, uh, Ratatoskr, and they go to Dravania, which is near uh, Ishgard. That's right, and I remember uh, Nidhogg was the dragon that had the whole thing with Ishgard and the Eye and, and starting the war. Right. Okay. And then there are two further dragons, Azdaja and Vritra. We don't know anything about Azdaja, as far as I'm aware. So is Azdaja still just kind of chilling around and on Hydaelyn? We have no idea. Okay, and before we get too far off of this, so we were just talking about dragons... Going from way off in the middle of the backsticks nowhere space mm-hmm. on the the, the, the Dragonstar planet, mm-hmm. they fly here through space. Yep. And then they're just chilling. It was was that all of the dragons that were fighting against Omega? These are the only ones that came to Hydaelyn. Ooh. Uh, we know nothing about what happened to the the fate of the Dragon Star itself. Hmm. We do know that they were followed. <laughs> right. Uh, Omega, Omega came with them. <laughs> so assumedly, uh, the, the ones left behind either uh, aren't doing so well or... Uh... Uh, probably not. I mean, Omega didn't do so well. Uh, in, in just traveling through space, Omega didn't really hold up that well. He actually wound up... I, I don't know the reasoning for this. Um, mm-hmm. I would need to do some reading about it but omega is is found sort of asleep in some part of aorze i want to say he's in cartano flats i want to say he's just asleep oh man they even give us the, the whole alien being in their ship asleep thing we've seen that what was it prometheus mm. was it was that an alien to a bunch of other movies this is <laughs> Why do we keep waking up aliens, Cody, as a culture? <laughs> Look, man, uh, it wasn't us. <laughs> it, it, it was somebody else, and you're going to hear their name a lot, too. Ooh. They're not Garlemald, but you're going to hear their name a lot, too. Okay, okay. No, no, real quick. So the the dragon's chilling. They're, they're doing their thing. Is this well before other life forms really started hanging around on Hydaelyn, or is this, you know, other cultures are all, already chilling? Uh, there are other life forms on Hydaelyn. The, this would have been in the third astral era. Mm. So quite a while. Oh, that's right, because it's the fourth calamity. Right. Okay, okay. So so there's you know, there's quite a few uh, beings that already exist. There's beings that already exist on Maricidia. Maricidia. Uh, where Bahamut and Tiamat went. Oh, okay. So, Maricidia is, as I said, it, it's to the south of Eorzea. It's a, a continent we've never been to in-game. 
for reasons that you'll find out soon enough. Ooh. We have had some uh, encounters with Maricidians, mm-hmm. but we've never been there ourselves. Okay. So it has three sort of major factions on it. We don't really know much about what these, I guess they would be considered beast tribes, are. Mm-hmm. But we know that there is a sort of plant-like faction Ooh. that worshipped a primal known as Sephiroth. That name sounds a little familiar coming from FF. <laughs> this is not the this is not the the platinum haired pretty boy. This is a giant blue horned <laughs> demon with six arms. <laughs> it looks like a primal straight out of Dark Souls. Oh wait, no, he looks like if Machamp was in Dark Souls. <laughs> so yeah so so i also just a note about sephiroth um sephiroth has a fantastic primal theme i love it his boss fight theme is called the edge is calling or something like that (laughs) oh no it's called fiend the song is called fiend okay but it sort of sounds like um i I don't even know how to describe it but look it's great i love it it gets stuck in my head very easily Ooh, i'll check it out uh, there's a sort of centaur-like race that are, they're like lizard centaurs. Huh. Picture a centaur if its lower body was a lizard, but its upper body was also a lizard. <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're like sort of draconic humans on the upper body. And the, bo- the lower body is just like a tail and four legs. Right, right. I'm thinking of those those uh, dragonic or dragonkin helpers that you found in, what was it in World of Warcraft? Was it Blackrock Spire? Oh, yeah. You know what? It is exactly like the dragonkin. Oh, okay. Wild. If you're familiar with that, that's what they look like. Uh, I, I don't know, man. That's such an off-putting look. If I see lizards, I either want them to be walking around like Skyrim or, I don't know, alligators. Yeah, no in-between. They worship a guy known as Zervon. Uh, Zervon the Demon. (laughs) Really subtle on that one, huh? Yeah. Wait, wait, so if that guy's a demon, that kind of makes the uh, Sephiroth... I mean, Sephiroth already looks very demon-ish. Well, Sephiroth's called the Fiend. So they're very different. Oh... Okay, yeah, so he's got the same thing where he's got the lower torso, which has those front legs. Okay, this is just a very strangely shaped body. He's a very strange enemy. Yeah, okay, so it's like he's got the body of a snake, except he's got... He's got normal human arms at the top near his head, but then he also has big, big arms like it would be the, the centaur's front legs yeah this guy makes no sense to me i'm tr- I'm trying to find this great image but it doesn't seem like google has a picture of it really oh here's here's one here's one when zervon is imprisoned when we fight him he he's in this containment device that a lot of people joked that he was like a birthday cake stripper <laughs> because he's sort of like waist up in this like three-tiered shackle thing right i can see the resemblance 
Yeah. So a lot of a lot of people joked about him being a sort of like birthday cake stripper yeah, kind of and, and thing. And it's kind of like he's got the pole in his hand with the spear. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. He also has some really funny voice lines that unfortunately I can't do right now. My voice is kind of a wreck. He has a he has some very funny ones. Uh, and then there's a third race that's already there, and this race or th- this group is interesting because they are multiple different races that are all following a a being known as Sophia, the goddess. Oh, okay, this is new. Sophia is interesting. She appears as her her body is a sort of like onyx skinned woman, but then she has this sort of weird disembodied head floating beneath her this is some straight up biblically accurate angel looking stuff fear not (laughs) this is terrifying now my my favorite thing about sophia and this is something that a lot of people don't notice in the fight because of the way her her model is facing you Mm -hmm. that mask on the face below her right it's like a sort of porcelain mask okay yeah that is actually a mask that is not that disembodied head's face no if you look underneath the chin on that mask there's like a tendril oh no that's a tongue oh yeah so it's actually like this sort of really horrifying visage that is hidden behind this sort of idyllic porcelain mask. You know, oftentimes I can at least try and guess where the creators drew inspiration from, from all of the thousands of years of human culture that that we have to pull upon. I have no idea where to start, where they pulled this out of. They just (laughs) pulled some mud, threw it against a wall, and said, yeah, we're making that. (laughs) I mean, to, to be honest, Sophia is a very entrancing being to look at with all the golden plate and the wings. It really does look like that biblical, biblical angel in sort of way where you would just have to stop and stare. And there's nothing you can do. You, you can't fight this thing. You, you can only no. listen to what it has to say. Which sort of makes sense with her um, theming. She is a, a sort of a judge of souls like one of her mechanics in the fight is that she will judge the weight of your soul oh and it'll actually tilt the arena and it can like throw you off oh that sounds awesome but her her followers are like completely enraptured by sophia so there's that sort of sinister do you think that it's because they're tempered or is this out of pure goodwill towards her they're tempered now but Prior to her being summoned as an actual primal, um, she wouldn't have been capable of that, mm. I wouldn't think. Um, barring that, you know, she might be an actual deity, you know. I can't say those don't exist in <laughs> yeah, fantasy. That it, it really just goes back to that whole, what is a god? I mean, yeah. if, if she was just an idea before, ideas can still be manifested by the whole channeling ether into form. Mm. That is a question that I'm, I'm going to be asking myself a lot about that later. Hmm. 
So th- those guys are the main factions on Maricidia, right? And then Bahamut uh-huh. and Tiamat plus their children. So Maricidia is a fairly eclectic group of, of beings. Mm. And then just to make it even weirder, towards the end of the second astral era, that's when people started showing up, just humans. Ah. So humans started showing up, they started fighting with each other over land, and eventually one of them was like, you know what? Fine. We'll get somebody else to tell us whose land it is. Hey, Bahamut. (laughs) Okay, so casual, yeah. Yeah, so Bahamut agreed. He says, fine, if it will give you peace, I will rule over you. I will, you know, handle your disputes. And it worked. Maricidia was a largely peaceful place. Who needs a god when you have a dragon, you know? You have a giant dragon, yeah. (laughs) So everything was good until the Allegan Empire attacked. So towards the end of the third astral era, this is when the Allegan Empire shows up. Okay, yeah, and I remember. So the Allegans had all of this tech that they basically nuked themselves with, and then the Garlean Empire picked that up later to now. Right. Okay. So Alag is very expansionist, very technologically advanced, but also what, what makes them so interesting is their speed at which they can adapt. So they they show up to invade, right? Mm-hmm. And they get pushed back by the native people and the dragons. They're facing, you know, a united Maricidia, and they can't win. So instead of just giving up, they go, science. And they, <laughs> they start producing chimeras and crazy weaponry, right? And they push back in, and they actually kill Bahamut. Oh, no! Yeah. So, in a response to Bahamut's death, the tribes of Maricidia summon their gods. Oh, my God. Okay, so Bahamut goes down, and then the the good citizens just come together and all summon their own gods to each of their own cultures? Sophia, Sephiroth, and Zervon. And these became known as the Warring Triad. Ooh. You know, the Allegan are like, shit. (laughs) Everybody get out of the pool. Right, right. So they fall back again. And their emperor, Zandi, he says, this is unacceptable. Gather every researcher we have. And he tells them, I'm going to kill one of you every day until you come up with a way for us to beat this cool. <laughs> so real quick i love that for this guy first off science we kill the dragon <laughs> excellent wait our problem just got worse as nothing that a little more science can't fix absolutely <laughs> that is alag <laughs> and second it's really interesting to me that Normally, the whole routine that you'll see in stories is religion brought us to our knees and you know distracted and pulled us all apart and destroyed our society. But it's the opposite this time around. You know, now it's science yeah. that pulls down this whole empire. Yeah. It's a good twist on things. I'm down for it. So, 
his researchers start researching these primals and they go, we think we can come up with a way to beat them. We have a way that we can imprison them and we can take them elsewhere to do more research. Oh, and yeah, if you even just keep them locked up, you just deny them ether. They should fade out on their own eventually. That's an actually a really interesting thing because they don't want them to fade out. Oh. So what Alag will often do is they'll capture not only the primal, but some of the people that summon it. And they'll keep those people in stasis alongside their god so that it will remain summoned perpetually. Oh, now this is getting pretty grim. Oh, Alag is not a nice place at all. Oh, man. They are progress at all costs. Man, I thought King or Good King Mago Mog was a tragic story. That is just downright terrifying thinking mm. about it from those summoners' perspectives. Yeah, actually, it's it's horrifying. So these guys, you know, capture all the warring triad, and then they go, Ha-ha! Now we can move in and take Maricidia. But it wasn't that easy. Because Tiamat, in her grief, summons Bahamut as a primal. Oh, man. But because of her mental state being nothing but just anger and grief, she summons this... He, he's just a rage monster. Oh, God, yeah, he's not going to stop just at Algon. Yeah, Bahamut wants to see the whole world in flames. And this, again, pushes the Alagan back. So, what do they do? Science. <laughs> Third time's the charm. <laughs> this leads to the construction of something known as the Crystal Tower. And... Zandi starting to research the ability to communicate with the Void. Oh, now we haven't really heard anything about the Void as far as the story goes yet. Right. Void's an interesting story. He maintains contact with the Void, and this leads to him uh, meeting a being known as the Cloud of Darkness. And she tells him, if you will give me bodies, all I need are corpses that I can put Void Scent in, I will help you fight Maricidia. Now, vo Void Scent... Oh, oh, okay, gotcha. So it's the Cloud of Darkness that's saying, give me bodies, I will put Void Scent into them. Mm-hmm. Okay, gotcha. So they come back to Maricidia with an undead army. Oh, man. Yeah, I bet they had a lot of them sitting around. And because of their advancements in primal technology thanks to capturing the warriors of light or the uh, not the warriors of light the uh, warring <laughs> triad they managed to overrun bahamut and imprison him wow they seal him away inside a false moon known as dalamud holy cow they're using him as a source of power <laughs> they just turned him into a big car battery yeah pretty much these guys are lunatics Oh my, we, we joked about touching the sun with the, uh, the, the, the beast tribe that had the whole thing with their nation in the sky. Oh, These yeah. guys are getting dangerously close to literally getting too close to the sun with this. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's pretty rough. Uh, they also capture Tiamat, and she is kept somewhere in a place known in, as Azisla, which is a, uh, a research facility for the uh, Allegan Empire. 
and she's strong enough that she could break out of the bonds that they have her captured in but out of a sort of temperance for what she views as her crime of unleashing Bahamut upon the world, she remains imprisoned by her own will. Oh, as a sort of atonement. Yes. The uh, Bahamut also has a bunch of dragons that have been captured alongside him, and they're using them to keep him summoned inside Dalamud. Whoa. Oh, so so they're yeah. locked up as well inside Dalamud with him. Yes. I've heard a lot of people talk about the story of FF14 with, you know, a lot of emotion implied with plenty of different scenes. I mean, we've, we've talked about, you know, some spoiler-related things with with certain characters that, you know, that, that touched my heartstrings. I'm really starting to see that even when you look at the big picture... FF has the kind of thing where you can say, oh, yeah, you know, d- there's a whole thing with Dalamud and the, the, the War of the Magi, this and that, and then here we are now. But they put so much effort into really putting in a story, a place with not just factions, but people and beings that have these same emotions and you know, the struggles and the suffering, I think, is yeah. really the key part of this, this story before the game starts, even. Yeah. Silver Lining... Alagan did not last very long after this. Mm. The Alagan Empire, shortly after, attempted to summon the Cloud of Darkness to our world. Uh, Zandi wanted to become an even more powerful emperor than he is now. Oh, come on. (laughs) But the summoning failed, and the excess energy sort of shot back through the crystal tower and it triggered a monstrous earthquake oh gotcha and this earthquake was actually the downfall of the Allegan empire they did not survive wow but as a result of the Allegan empire being gone the origins of dalamud sort of just fell to the past it right. just became we have two moons until <laughs> the sixth astral era. Okay, so that's what two eras down from now. Yeah. Okay. Well, it's one more calamity. The, there's a fifth, a fifth calamity after. It, it's a mess. <laughs> Bad things happen to Eorzea every five minutes. So at this point, there is a family within the Garlean Empire, the Darnus family. They have some information regarding Allegan Tech and the true nature of Dalamud. Ooh. Yeah. So, a little bit about the Darnesses. You've got two siblings. Mm-hmm. Eula Darnus and Nail Darnus. Eula is a, the sister. Nail mm-hmm. is the brother. Okay. Eula didn't want to be a soldier, she wanted to be a medic. Oh, but she's a Garlean. I mean... So you gotta be a soldier, to some extent, at least. They need medics, too. Yeah, yeah although I, with the way that we talked about them, I could definitely see it in the sense where, especially if you're some sort of nobility or anything close to that, mm. if, if you're not a skilled soldier, then you're, you know, you're pathetic in their eyes, I would imagine. Yeah. <sighs> You know, it's it's an interesting thing. They they do sort of 
have a, a bit of a regard for the arts. Hmm. They they view themselves as a fairly cultured society. Uh, so there there's like specific ranks just for like playwrights and um, artists, stuff like that, architecture, <laughs> all that kind of stuff. You know, it's it's funny that that's the way it is. Actually, I I saw a comment on Reddit the other day that was talking about some Greek philosopher saying that only a foolish leader would have his his soldiers or generals uneducated because then you would have cowards leading the field and, and uh <clears throat> soldiers who are stupid and don't know what to do yeah it's there's it something like that it's all about having that balance yeah yeah i mean th- there aren't many just mindless brutes in garlemald that's not really a thing mm. i mean e- even with the the rogan which outside of knowing anything about the game you look at a rugen and, and you think haha orc race but yeah. no no everything has its own place in this world yeah yeah definitely so within you know her family it would have been fairly normal for her to be a medic it's apparently pretty normal for garlean women to follow that path okay um <clears throat> so she joins the imperial army with her brother However, her brother gets killed. Oh, right. <clears throat> right. So he comes home mortally wounded, and he says that the reason he's injured is because he was sent on a very bad idea of a mission by their father. Mm. So Eula, she can't save her brother's life, and she blames her father, so she murders him. Oh, Nelly. Yeah, she assassinates her father. Uh, using her medical training to make it appear as though he died to a disease. A lot of patricide going on with the Garleans. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. So what she did was actually take up the name of Nail. Oh. Um, f- she, she takes up his armor, his weapon, his title, everything. And she becomes really good within the military she rises all the way to the rank of legatus so she's leading her own legion wow so I, it, at this point it sounds like she's just trying to carry on her, her brother's honor in his memory and just you know what fine if i'm gonna be a soldier i'm gonna be the best one for him yeah pretty much after she takes over as a legatus the first thing she does is find all of her father's officers his guard everyone who was loyal to him and has them executed Uh, okay yeah yeah i could see why she's doing that though nail is driven and what's interesting about this is that a lot of garlean leaders condemn that behavior but the emperor at the time he said i respect that You let nothing stop you. You got guts, kid. Yeah, exactly. You got gumption, right? <laughs> so he says, you know, you, you've got what it takes to be a real, a really powerful person. And I respect that. So she actually uses their family's knowledge of the Allegan Empire. And she starts to investigate Dalamud and this this old artifact that her family has had for a long time so what's the artifact it's known as a lunar transmitter Mm. 
and you can guess what that does. Oh, it connects with Dalamud. She basically has a remote for Dalamud. Oh, no. Yeah. Wait, where did they even get that? Did they just find it in Allegan Rubble? That is an excellent question, and probably. <laughs> Allegan tech is spread all over, uh, not even just Eorzea. You can't go five feet without kicking something Allegan. <laughs> <laughs> there there's uh there's a, a trading company that deals explicitly in old allegan tombstones which are basically allegan usb sticks <laughs> and you you can exchange old allegan coins for gill wow so even their currency is still good <laughs> Yeah, Allegan <laughs> currency is still good. Man, what, what, what a mark of a nation. <laughs> so, she starts researching the lunar transmitter, and she wants to recreate this ancient spell known as Meteor. Oh. And she says, if we do this, we can wipe out all of those primals and the, the, the savages that summon them. We can, we can wipe them all out at once. Uh, yeah i mean sure mm -hmm. it, it makes yeah. sense so they start studying this right they they do some test runs in a, a, a nation that they've subjugated known as bosia where the uh the rothgar yeah are from the experiment fails and this becomes known as the bosia incident <gasps> Oh, uh, yeah, you had mentioned that, like, 70% of it was blown up or something, right? Oh, Bosnia is a wasteland. Oh, man. Wait, so if the experiment failed, what would it have looked like if it succeeded? That's an excellent question. I'm not sure what exactly their intention was, whether it's just to prove, like, theoretically that it was possible, or to just drop a meteor on a smaller scale. Because... From the way that you described the way that channeling ether works with at least the proper way of doing it, you know, there's the circles that have to be done. So maybe mm. it was just them trying to figure out the circles and like you can know that you have all the pieces of it together without necessarily finish the channeling. I could see that being um, a thing. Maybe. Yeah, that could work where they're, where they're just like the connections are made and then they're like, OK, stop right right we, we've right. proven it on a, a theoretical level <laughs> we, we have it on paper now <laughs> yeah we don't need to go further or more likely if we go further we probably won't make it out of this alive <laughs> it's like they were splitting the atom and, and they made an incision into the atom they're like all right cool we, we can we can split the atom and someone sneezes and that just finish <laughs> slicing the atom and oh no <laughs> um so Nail witnesses this failure, right? And that sort of just damages her already damaged psyche a little bit more. Dude, she's just got to be and crazy. Nail's on now. the edge. Yeah. She, she is on the edge. So she goes to the Emperor and she says, listen, this was not a total failure. <laughs> she says, what we've learned from this, we can control Dalamud. We failed because... It went wrong, but that doesn't mean it can't go right. Wait a second. You said that in one of the... Was it the primal episode? You said in a previous episode that Bahama basically tempered somebody. Was this the person? Was Nail the person? One of them. 
She's one of them. Oh, do we know when that happened? It would probably have been, I believe Nail was tempered after, but the, the, what would have been the first, um, mostly due to his proximity to the research is a man known as Midas Nan Garland, the father of Sid who is a uh, Garlean that's actually on Eorzea's side. Oh. A Garlean defector. You know, after after the whole incident with, with Dalamud, I can see why. Well, it, it gets a little bit more grim for Sid, because he, he noticed his father was starting to sort of slip and change, and he mm. confronted him, and he was going, Dad, this this research, is it's doing something to you. You need to stop. And his father was just like, nothing stops my research. And he shot him. Cool! Yeah. So Sid, uh, Sid's relationship with his father was poor from that point on. <laughs> to say the least, I would think. Oh my god. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Wow. Yeah. So the Emperor hearing this, our apocalypse was actually a maybe. He says, no, sorry. Project Meteor is cancelled. You you can't keep working on this. It's too risky. And he just sent the 7th Legion to an area in the east, basically just saying, go away. You failed. Leave. Oh, wow. And that's where Nail was for a long time. Uh, it wasn't... Nail didn't actually return until the Empire's failure of the Battle of Silvertier, where they attempted to figure out what the hell was under that lake wow and they actually got kind of wrecked by midgard swarmer yeah midgard swarmer basically called a bunch of his kids and was like nah this doesn't work we're not letting you guys have this <laughs> uh so they got airships lost to dragons pretty handily <laughs> yes yeah, the, the math checks out on that one though midgard swarmer actually was essentially struck down in this battle he didn't die Midgard Swarmer is alive. He's simply in a sort of like hibernation at this point. Hmm. Uh, but he's still in Silvertier. He's still wrapped around the remnants of the uh, of the the gunship that brought him down. Wow. Maybe just trying to collect ether through hibernation to heal himself or something. Pretty much. Yeah, that's a way to put it. So after this, Nail actually comes back. And she claims that she has a way to control the fall of Dalamud. She says, I can do it. We can drop the moon and it will wipe out Eorzea. <laughs> so, real quick, that just sounds to me like meteor with extra steps. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, kind of. <laughs> Most of Garlemald was like, look, man, I don't trust this. This is not a good idea. But the Emperor said, fine. I'll give you a second chance. Yeah, Nell's got moxie. Yeah, yeah. He knew. The Emperor is an interesting man. He's no fool. Mm. 
he has a very, very large backstory that we're going to cover eventually. Ooh. But he's got his hands in many things. Now, he knew what was inside of Dalamud, or he knew that Dalamud crashing down would be this horrific thing? Both. Okay, gotcha. He knows what Dalamud contains. So, he, uh, he, he okays it. And this is when Project Meteor really begins in earnest. The, the Garleans are sort of pushing back into Eorzea and causing all this havoc while they're taking over areas and uh, mm. building castrums. And th- they build a place known as Castrum Novum, which is in the region surrounding Silvertier Lake, uh, known as Mordona. Mordona. And as a response to this, the grand companies of Eorzea are united in a push against the Garlean Empire. Oh, and this this is going to be before the Warrior of Light is sort of banded together and made, and made the EU what it is now. Right, exactly. Well, it, it's kind of a thing that was happening. We'll talk about it a bit when we talk about the Scions. Mm-hmm. But uh, it was a work in progress at the time. And these guys push in... And they destroy the lunar transmitter. They actually manage to destroy it. Mm. And this pisses off Nail. Like, right. really bad. So Nail actually just beats all of them herself. Wait, like, whole armies, or...? Yeah, several adventurers, Grand Company troops, the, the whole, the whole like, forefront that broke in and destroyed the lunar transmitter. Wow. Nail stops them alone. Yeah, the elites of, of Eorzea. Yeah. Nail stops them herself, and she says, I didn't need that stupid transmitter anyway. I can summon Dalamud by myself. No, 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 no. And this is the point where we're really like, yeah, Nail's tempered. (laughs) But the people of Eorzea don't know that. Right, right. Because they don't know what the heck's in Dalamud. They they don't know what the special surprise in Dalamud is yet. Yeah, it's like a, it's a kinder egg, but it's dead. (laughs) So she runs off to a place known as the, um, the Riven Road. It's some floating ruins of ancient Alag. And Nail is there summoning Meteor. She's casting Meteor herself, right? Okay. And, you know, Dalamud starts descending. The, the adventurers are fighting Nail. Wait, so her casting meteor is bringing down Dalamud? She, she is dropping the moon herself. Yes. Oh, okay. And everything goes to shit. The, these voids sent as if they're, like, attracted to the chaos that's happening right now what? just start popping up in Eorzea. Oh no, what a, what a time! Yeah, they're, they're known as Atomos. And, and Atomos is basically a giant mouth. That's the, that's the only way to describe it. Uh. It is a, a giant mouth and it just, its body is a sort of endless void. Oh... Oh, it... yeah. <laughs> yeah, look at that. <laughs> it looks like an upside down ice cream cone, but the cone is a giant mouth. <laughs> so the, these guys start popping up and they just start sucking the ether out of the etherite surrounding Eorzea. 
Whoa. This cripples the people's ability to fast travel. Oh. You can't teleport. Okay, so so somehow the Void Sent are caught in with this conspiracy, a conspiracy of some sort with this, right? Mm-hmm. Whether the Void Sent are actually involved or that they're just, you know, beasts of opportunity, I can't say. Oh, okay. Interesting. Um, so, so these guys, you know, Void Sent are just like, they start appearing in droves. It's like a legitimate apocalypse. Like, major cities are being sieged by just these ever-increasingly stronger uh, void scent. Wow. And a- adventurers are, are, like, furiously praying to the Twelve for just some kind of salvation. Right, just anything. Mm-hmm. And, you know, while this is happening, the Eorzean Alliance and, and a bunch of their soldiers, they're at war. They're they're fighting Garlemald tooth and nail on the Cartano Flats. And so they've got nothing to fight the Void Spawn with, or the Void. Exactly, set. it's just really bad news. Then eventually, Dalamud descends, and with a mighty roar, Bahamut bursts forth from the moon, and just bursting forth from the moon itself is already causing problems because you know the moon is a alligan construction all that stuff's got to go somewhere oh yeah it's it's a moon essentially maybe maybe a little moon but it's still a moon it's a moon you know you've got these these they're called tomeliths uh it's a a monolith essentially uh monolith sized computers they just go rocketing through the sky and they're they're slamming into the ground all over Cartano, and that's killing people. And then Bahamut is flying around shooting Terra Flares, and that's killing people. Oh, yeah, for, like in the cinematic, right? Yeah, it, that is the cinematic for A Realm Reborn. It's actually the ending cinematic for 1.0. This was how 1.0 ended. Mm. The final days, all of those adventurers praying to the Twelve, that was players. Wow. Yes. Yeah. They actually had some really interesting stuff. You could uh you you could pray to the 12 and they had uh GMs were like hidden in the cities and they would basically give you buffs. What? That's incredible. Yeah. Some players would wake up like if you logged out in an inn, it would play this animation of your character going to sleep. And the next time you logged in, you may have nightmares as an opening cutscene when you log in. Or some players would wake up in their in room with like these legendary artifact weapons. <laughs> you know, as I, I don't know if, if it was controversial. I know that it wasn't as a business model successful 1.0, but it sounds like the, the writers and devs did some incredible work with the ending of 1.0. Oh, yeah, for sure. And I think the story of 1.0 was probably on par with what we have now so far i mean if if what we had talked about now is a part of that or if it was leading up to what we have now this is just that's incredible i i am amazed at that so yeah you know everything's looking really bad bahamut is you know winding up this massive attack this this end all and you would think that would be the end of eorzea and it would have been were it not for one man Louis Sois Levelure. Oh, the the old guy, right? 
the grandfather of the twins, the leader of the Circle of Knowing, uh, a, a very powerful Charlayan mage. He attempts to save everyone by rebinding Bahamut. Hmm. He slams his staff, right, and he starts casting this spell that invokes the Twelve, and they start to sort of rebuild Dalamud around Bahamut, but they're just not strong enough. Man. And Bahamut breaks free. That's crazy. I mean, science had outclassed the gods at one point. Yeah, right? And we're talking about the Twelve at, like, what what should have been their peak. Because this is, like, you know, Eorzea at its darkest hour. That's right, and they're just, all the people praying must subconsciously Uh be channeling ether to the gods. Absolutely. So, that fails. So, as a last resort, Louis Swa, he he casts Flow, right? Mm. And he grabs the Warrior of Light. And he says, I don't know when you're going to die, but it's not here throws him into the life stream oh and you'd think that that would be the end but louis swa's not done no because grandpa goes super saiyan what louis swa takes all of these sort of fervent prayers for survival all that ether right and he takes it into himself oh and he becomes a primal what Louis Swa becomes the primal known as Phoenix. <gasps> and he delivers this final blow. He, he basically just punches straight through Bahamut's heart. <gasps> oh my god. Yeah, right? Just right through him. And, you know, that's it. Bahamut's defeated. And using his powers as the primal of rebirth... He begins to heal Eorzea. Louis Swa is the only reason why that calamity did not wipe out Eorzea as it was. That's like there there are survivors. Like there are people that survived. Like the the faction leaders, the uh like Merlewib, Roban, uh Kane Senna, they were there. Oh man. What a badass. Yeah, right? And you would think, you know, you'd hope that that would be the end for Louis Swa. But, uh, unfortunately, no one can come into contact with Bahamut that closely, with that much ether, and not come out of it touched. Oh, no. Louis Swa actually found himself tempered. Oh, no, no, no. And though no one has seen Bahamut in, like, 5,000 years or 500 years, something like that. A really long time, right? Mm. No one's seen Bahamut. In secret, Bahamut has been using Phoenix to revive himself. And he's just waiting. He's just sitting there waiting for his chance to come back. Oh, Nelly! Oh! What a story! Oh man, it's great. This is this is incredible. I I thought with the cinematic for for a realm reborn. Oh, okay, cool. You know, lo, 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 old man saves the people. He's 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 got a cool looking smile. I, I like his face. Sad. Yeah. Cool. You know, good music. Oh, all of this. 
So, so is all of this before 1.0 begins, and then you start learning about the whole thing with Phoenix and uh, and. So the the story of Phoenix is actually told in the uh, 2.0 raid series known as the Binding Coil of Bahamut. Ooh. It's actually where I would talk about the whole thing, but it's going to be most of it's kind of pointless. Like there's mm-hmm. a lot of uh, bosses that don't need any discussion or whatever, but. Mm-hmm. You know, you got the gist of it right there. Uh, Louis Swa becomes Phoenix. Phoenix is reviving Bahamut. The Warrior of Light, accompanying Alfino and Alize, travel into the Binding Coil to defeat Bahamut once and for all. Oh, so so Bahamut is already basically ready and rearing to go again at this point. Yeah. Well, as of lore right now, Bahamut is dead. Okay. He has been defeated. He won't be back. The player character, if you're playing as a summoner, you can summon Bahamut. What? Uh, yeah, so by traveling through Cardinal Flats or the Binding Coil, you have trace amounts of Bahamut's ether in yourself, and you can essentially put that into the same thing you would use to make a carbuncle, and you make a what we call a demi-Bahamut. Oh. It's a little baby Bahamut, and he hangs out with you. <laughs> Uh, we can do the same thing with Phoenix. That sounds like playing with fire. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah. We, we can do the same thing with Phoenix as well. Man. Uh, we can summon Phoenix. In fact, one of Louis Swa's only rules that he gives the twins when we talk to him in, uh, in Binding Coil is do not tell Eorzea that it was me. Oh. Do not tell Eorzea about Phoenix. Because right. he doesn't want them to start worshipping him because hmm. he doesn't want to be resummoned. Wow. What what a somber way to to sort mm-hmm. of wrap this up. Is there any more to really talk about or, or should we in, end it here <clears throat> with I mean, Meteor Project? That is the end of Dalamud. The the end of an era. Wow. That from start to finish, what a wild ride that was. <laughs> Yeah, it's something. Oh my god. <laughs> so, be- before we wrap up, yeah, instead yeah. of just telling you what the next episode's going to be about, the next episode's going to be a big one. I love it. Ooh, I'm ready, man. So, in- instead of just leaving you with a telling you, I'm going to leave you with a teaser. This is a quote. And people who understand or have already known the story, you'll probably know what this is referring to. From the depths of despair, the last harbinger arose. Its voice was fulgent destruction, and none could stand in its path. And as it edged inexorably closer, we knew, without decisive sacrifice, our star would surely perish. Um, Good King Mogulmog 2 Electric Boogaloo? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, it's it's King Mog, you caught me. I knew it! <laughs> I, 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 I omitted all the Koopos. <laughs> you tried to trick me. <laughs> I'm, I'm really looking forward to next week. No, it's going to be great. What a quote, too. That, that's mm, Yeah, oh, oh, it's full of it. I got I got hair standing on me, man. I, I'm pumped. <laughs> Let's do it, man. Episode yeah, 9. <laughs> Alright, see you guys next week. Thank you. <laughs>